at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Uh, happy we are not facing a really good team this week. week. Yeah. Now I guess it just depends Hopefully. on... Hopefully. Well, <laughs> I mean, UConn hasn't looked amazing against previous opponents, but at the same time... Uh, they seem like one of these wacky teams where uh, anything goes in any game they play in. So that'll uh, that'll make for an interesting afternoon. The fact that it's a road game also makes it a little interesting. Um, I know Dino Baber said today um, on the uh, ACC Coaches Teleconference that, uh, that UConn's defense was better than uh, USF's. That mm, That's probably true, but I think better is, is a relative term because I think the, the two defenses just play such a different style I mean I, I think that you know Bob Diaco's Northeast style defense it's very um, you know kind of fight it out in the mud type like grind it defense um, that you know was based on kind of the defenses he had at Notre Dame and the, again that general Northeast mold that I think um, was kind of like the baseline for for what Scott Schaefer was doing I think Schaefer kind of took it a little bit past that but you look around the northeast and everyone has played for the large part of the last 10 to 15 years at least um that style of defense um and then you look at you know usf very good defense but very good defense in a different way you know it, it's completely based on speed um it's it's you know it's not a traditional scheme um the athletes are better uh, so yeah i, I think while you at while UConn might be a better defense in some ways, I just I, I think that there are a lot of ways that they're so different that it might be an advantage for Syracuse. Yeah, uh, I think that I was actually pulled this, pulled this up while you were saying that um, the advanced numbers over football study hall. Uh, shout out to Bill Connolly as always. Um, actually, do back that up. Uh, UConn's defense uh, and the S and P plus rating is ranked forty fifth in the country. USF's is sixty eight. Um, I think the big difference is that UConn's offense is the 110th ranked unit. USF's <laughs> is the 24th. Um, and I think USF probably suffers from like a, a much lower grade of the same thing that Syracuse's defense does, where the offense plays real fast. Um, and even with like a, a very different style from Syracuse, like they have their, their tight ends and their, uh, you know, they're like a weird, like hybrid of, of up tempo, but also like a Stanford, like run you over offense, but also with a mobile quarterback. It's like, they're an interesting team. Um, as we saw, an interesting, very good team that uh, absolutely demolished us over the last three quarters. And that we never should have um, scheduled. I mean, <laughs> as you outlined, and also a very explosive team. Um, UConn uh, is like, like, like you said, the, the stereotypical Northeast football team. Solid defense, no offense, plays real slow. Explosiveness is at a, a all a minimum. Um, I much prefer this this matchup. I don't think UConn's a bad team. 
Um, they obviously like they they had their their Houston one last year that uh, our friend at uh, No Escalators will talk tweet about eighteen times a day as he well should, or they well should. I think there's still two guys running that account, um, and they're just like uh, they're like you said they're a very weird team. They they very they came very close to losing to Maine in week one. They came weirdly close to beating Navy from behind in week two, and they came very close to losing to a bad Virginia team last week. So. Um, I like Syracuse. Uh, I, I feel pretty good about this one. Um, and Football Study Hall gives us a, a 59% chance to win, which that sounds about right. Like, it's definitely not a slam dunk. It's on the road. Uh, but I think SU uh, should have a decent shot at this one. And uh, I'd much rather play UConn than USF again. USF was, like, everything we possibly could have feared they would be, and maybe worse. Um, and those last three quarters were an absolute bear to watch. They were, but you know what? They weren't as bad on the rewatch, and part of that is because I don't watch SU's defensive possessions. If you just watch the offense, SU looked like it just couldn't complete drives. And that's been the issue so far. Like, completing drives, they, they moved the ball pretty crazy. Like, Dungy, we said after the game, I was like, Dungy really didn't look good. We all established that he had a bad game. Probably one of his worst games as a starter. Mm-hmm. And I look, I'm like, he had 350 yards. And that's not like, yards only mean so much. And but... the second most completions, and no, third most completions in the history of the program. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And that's going to happen all the time. Like, we know this. Um, but I, I think it's completing drives, and the explosive plays just haven't been there. Um, Syracuse in the uh, ISO PPP that we always talk about, the explosiveness rating, 112th in the country. Um, success rate is good. Like, we're, we're moving the ball. We're getting yards. We're picking up um, first downs. We're, we're being aggressive. We just haven't broken those big plays. And I think uh, – and it's weird because, like, there have been a couple, and especially in that Colgate game, there were a bunch – and you have uh, Edatawa, who's had, like, seems like all he's had is big plays. But the rest of the team, like, we haven't had those the big, uh, you know, bubble screen, make one guy miss and blow up for 20 yards. Like, that, the team just hasn't quite clipped to find that second level. Um, but overall, I mean, I think if you have, uh, if you're throwing for 300 yards a game and you're running for around 100 yards a game, um, probably more, honestly, 400 yards of this offense is pretty low. Uh, eventually, I think you're going to find success. I think that's a better process than averaging 350 total yards a game and hoping that every drive you have t- turns into points. Um, but finishing finishing drives does seem to be the, the one real hang-up and where this offense needs to improve in a big way. Yeah, no, I, I think that, that both of those are, are great points. And, you know, it's backed up, too, by a little more basic statistics, just looking at uh, my play call breakdowns every week. Um, I know I track a bunch of different things that uh, have either been asked for over the years or at least just things that, that came to mind uh, either from the beginning or over time for me. Um, some of those, you know, things you alluded to, uh, it seems that this team uh, is very, very uh, beholden to what happens on first down. Um, I think that goes for any offense, but especially this one. Um, obviously, the options for them, if it's, you know, second and three versus second and ten, um, m- much, much bigger, uh, you know, kind of land you, you can run with in, in that playbook. Um we had 14 plays um, or five or more yards on first down against Colgate. Uh, that number went down to 13 last week, and it went down to 12 uh, this week against USF. Uh, that doesn't sound like a huge drop, but the problem is it's not just a, a drop by, by a play per. It, it's the average. And if you look at how many plays we ran against Colgate versus how many plays we ran against USF, and then the astronomical amount of plays, 105, we ran against uh, USF, the, the average is going down, um, which, is, which is not good, obviously. Um, 
I know that we had 39 plays out of 105 um, in USF territory. That number doesn't sound good, admittedly, but you know, looking at it too, and when you look at the full grade, you'll see um, a good 50% or more of SU's plays were um, within the SU 40 or, or closer to, to the end zone. So, you know, again, like, like we've been saying, this is a team that can move the ball and just can't um, finish. Another thing that we're seeing is that those lack of explosive plays. Um, I completely agree. Um, you know, we've had 11 plays of 15 yards or more um, each of the last two weeks, but um, yeah, we're, we're just not we're not connecting on them consistently. A lot of them are happening in the early um, parts of the game. Actually, almost all of them are happening in the early parts of the game. You're seeing an offense kind of stall out in the second half. So yeah, it's not to. I, I definitely agree with all Bill's numbers, but it's just to. For those who might not be as statistically inclined or might want to, um, you know, ha- have another set of numbers to look at uh, beyond those, these are just, you know, a little more baseline statistics of, like, this is what we're seeing and this is what we probably should be seeing. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And uh, I think the fact that we're moving the ball consistently, I think, is a good sign. Um, I, th- I think that it's probably I, – I trust the, the team to fix the red zone problem and the – you know, finishing drives problem. Um, I think that's less of a baseline concern than like just fi- figuring out how to move the ball at all. So I, I think you, if you to move the ball at all, I think you can figure out how to eventually punch it in. Where if this team just couldn't get first downs and couldn't pick up chunk yardage and wasn't getting like 500 yards a game, that's a much bigger problem. I think so. I'd rather be where we are now than like where we've been in past years, where just like maintaining any sort of drive was a, was a step forward compared to, like, what the offense usually looked like. Yeah, I mean, previous years, we were looking at almost half the drives with three and outs, things like that. I mean, this time, just two of those. We did have three turnovers on top of that, uh, which isn't great. But, again, like you said, the, the, the bones are already there, um, and we actually have a semblance of, you know, what, what this offense is doing, and that's something we never, ever had um, under Schaefer, uh, despite you know two different offensive coordinators, two or three different offensive systems, um, there was just never any sort of cogency in terms of okay, this is going to lead to this once it clicks. Um, I don't even know if you saw that a ton, um, you know, in 2012, the, the kind of heyday of SU offense until this year. Um, you didn't know exactly what was happening, but you knew that it was building towards something, even if you didn't have the the, the bones of that. This, on the other hand. You know what's happening. You, you know the bones are there. You know what it's building toward. It's just a question of when, not if, uh, which I think, I mean, for SU fans at least, that should be the most exciting part of all this. Yeah, and uh, not to like go over people's heads again, but like the, the, the advanced numbers say right now we have a top 40 offense. Um, so like the fact that that's happening right off the bat, uh, and that's where it should be, um, is pretty exciting. So, And the, the defense, we all know the issues, but... Um, I think this offense is probably right about on track to where, like, Babers expected it based on his, like, kind of downplaying how fast this would this would take. Um, I think we all got maybe a little ahead of ourselves and, like, thought he might just be trying to uh, lower expectations uh, so that we were all excited, like, pretty thrilled when things did happen. But I, I don't think that uh, – I, I think he was probably just being very honest and yeah. things are about where he kind of said they would be. So, um, unfortunately, we've faced – two really good opponents, one probably elite opponent, Louisville's uh, an unbelievable team. Um, teams don't beat Florida State uh, by 40, like, ever. Florida State, probably the second or third best recruiting team in the country behind Alabama and Ohio State. Um, they bring in talent, like, 
they're in the top tier definitively of like talent, just pure talent on a football team. Louisville is probably in like the third tier, and Louisville wrecked them. And it wasn't just Lamar Jackson; it was like that defense looked unbelievable. And I think Syracuse probably played Louisville a little tougher than Florida State did, honestly. Um, so that's just a really good team. USF right now is projected to win every game except I think uh, all every game except for this weekend against Florida State. And honestly, like I think Florida State will win that game, but I think it's going to be pretty close. Um, so we ran into two really bad, like really really good teams. Probably two, one top ten-ish team, one top thirty-ish team. Um, so those aren't the best barometer to, uh, with which to uh, measure a Syracuse program that is very much rebuilding. Um, I think this weekend is a much better barometer, and then games against like NC State and Wake Forest and BC and all the the normal like ACC, uh, you know, similar leveled programs. I think that's what we'll really learn how far along we are and how much work we have to do. Yeah, and I, you know, I think SU fans need to keep all this in mind. I kind of started seeing the sky is falling type tweets and, and, and comments and all this other stuff. Um, I mean, the, the, the lunatic fringe, like any other fan base has, was already calling for changes and all this other nonsense. Um, they're still standing. Yeah, they're, 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 they're still they're, they're going to stand as long as they need to, um, whether it's clapping or with Schaefer. <laughs> The only time they're not going to stand is when, is, is when the dome tells you to stand up and make noise. And in that case, they're they're firmly seated on the bleachers. Uh, they pay for those seats. <laughs> you they didn't them. pay for the they didn't pay for the extra uh, little cushion thing because I mean, come on, what is this? The do- you know how much money Syracuse University makes, but they did pay for the seats. Yeah, these uh, what we're seeing already is is an anxiousness and a nervousness about progress and it's i mean that's ludicrous to me i don't even want to get into it because it just pisses me off um especially based on where we've been the last few years but um to say that the last two weeks have really been all that bad i mean i know i wrote that article on monday um just kind of saying you know the louisville loss really doesn't look as bad there's a lot of ways that you can easily kind of parse that out whether you want to take away the the 14 garbage time points um whether you want to talk about the fact that bobby petrino had his starters in uh, midway through the fourth um, if you want to talk about the fact that SU's defense was gassed in its second game in a new scheme, um, the fact that SU managed to score more points against Louisville than Florida State did, um, any number of ways um, you, you can look at what the Orange did um, against Louisville and at least you know find some good takeaways um, against South Florida. I think there were also some good takeaways. Um, and I know this sounds weird for me, someone who seems like a pessimist. Not a pessimist when I see reason to actually, you know, believe in something. So, for me, I, I, I see an offense that that is putting things together um, on the fly, and, and that's going to take time. And it's not the best to test that out against Louisville and South Florida. It might have been a little bit easier to test that out against Boston College and I don't know Tulsa or or, or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, we had to face two very good teams to start the year. Uh, again, not the best barometer. But SU might be better off for it at the end of the year um, if they they were able to work out a lot of the kinks against better squads and then um, you know have things much more well in tune, especially on the offensive side, which is going to have to carry the freight a little bit um, you know later on in the year when, when teams like whether it's you know this coming week against UConn or, or much later against you know your NC States um, and your Boston Colleges and your Wake Forest that might not be able to put up as many points. Um, it might be better at the end of the year that you were tested this early and really got to kind of see, you know, just how good you were against better competition, even in the loss. Yep. 
it, I mean, as we've said pretty much every week, like this really did the schedule did not line up well for a first year uh, or the first year of a new uh, system. But it is what we have to deal with, and hopefully uh, this weekend is uh, the beginning of uh, a slightly more manageable um, stretch here. Although then we have Notre Dame, but then after that, like Wake, Virginia Tech, BC, uh, nice little three games where you know I think Virginia Tech will probably be a pretty decent favorite, but Wake and BC, like, those are two programs that Syracuse has beaten recently. They're two programs that Syracuse has as much, if not more, talent than. Um, if they win those two games, I think this is, uh, we're, we're in the makings of, like, the season going uh, as well as, you know, reasonable expectations would say. So, and then, obviously, beating UConn, I, I really want to be through for, you know, a myriad of reasons. Um, but let's, let's uh, I think this... Hopefully this weekend we'll get the fans uh, and the the people who are not uh, doing the whole belief without evidence thing uh, a little back on board, get to two and two, uh, feel better about everything, and not have to deal with Lamar Jackson or Twitter and Flowers for at least another year. Yeah, no, honestly, and I, I think I, I think the UConn game is critical. It's critical for a lot of reasons. Obviously, just to get one in a, you know win in the books. That's very important, but more than that, I think it's it's to get confidence back to the fan base, to get confidence back to the players. Um, I think they need to see it working again, um, hopefully for a full game, because admittedly we haven't seen it for a full game yet. Um, part of that's because they kind of took their foot off the gas against Colgate, but yeah, we need to see it, they need to see it. Um, and I think the wins and losses are probably this year going to break out the way that they're supposed to, or at least that we thought they were supposed to. Um, you know, I know you mentioned schedule. What I'm interested in next year is, with once again a difficult schedule, if not even more difficult schedule, to be perfectly honest, um, is Babers going to be constantly up against the wall for the first couple of years um, trying to break through when – the schedule doesn't know favors, and, and not to super fast forward, but you know, next year at LSU, hosting Central Michigan, at Miami, um, at Florida State, hosting Clemson, um, at Louisville. I mean, th- this is, and, and just to belabor my own point that I, I've stated over and over again, it's you're not making it easy for anybody, and, and I don't care who you are, whether you're you know Dino Babers or Nick Saban you're not going to be able to take the Syracuse program on day one or even day two um, or, or further and be able to advance their, their lot in life against a schedule like this. Um, and, and that's why you know I'm, I'm, I'm willing to buy into the much, much longer view. This is a three- to four-year thing. Um, as long as we see you know, some, some kind of check boxes along the way, we're fine. Um, but yeah, again, there's, there's plenty of people who, who aren't in that mindset right now, and, and it just without again without going over them all over again, it, it puzzles me. Just everyone, please chill out, buy in, understand that SU didn't really do itself any favors with the scheduling, um, and, and eventually it'll pay off. Because you know, I was talking to, to folks in the, in the comment section about uh, attendance that, that Sean had put together on Tuesday, and you know, it's. If you view sports as an investment, especially college sports, which you almost have to um, as an investment because of the nature of it, uh, you you find yourself to have a much more enjoyable time watching games and following the program on a day-to-day basis. 
Yeah, I think at some point during last year, I really stopped caring about the attendance. Like, I just, I can't work myself up to uh, get upset about it at this point because it just, it doesn't seem like anything. It's And Sean said this in his piece. The old, like it, It's pretty clear to me now that the only thing that's going to change the attendance issue is the team winning. Um, you can have as many gimmicks, you can have as many, you know, scheduling around the fair, everything else we've seen for years. The team is going to draw like 34,000 people that are going to come every game pretty much, occasionally a couple fewer, uh, a couple thousand fewer, a couple thousand more, depending on the opponent. The opponent really doesn't affect nearly as much as we think. Um, and it's until the team starts to win again, like when they, if the team is going to win like eight games, nine games, I'll start to get annoyed about it, the attendance then if it's not good. But like, I just, it just doesn't seem like there's anything. I know that the, the, the athletic department hasn't been like super creative about fixing it, but I honestly don't know what it, what they could do that would deem attendance more than a couple thousand. And I don't know that like getting the 37,000 versus 34, like really puts a dent in anything. So I put, like, a personal moratorium on caring about attendance until the team, like, goes to two straight bowls or something. And then if the team's like, oh, they can win eight or nine games this year in 2019 or something, and 38,000 people are showing up to see the team play Clemson, I'm going to get super annoyed. But until then, like, I'm just totally distancing myself from that. And I get why people enjoy the tweets that happen every week and everything and get, like, oh, and, and, you know, bang on the drums on Twitter every single week. But, like... It just seems like Groundhog Day at this point, and I just needed to like distance myself from that. So at some point last year, I was like, "All right, I'm done. Don't care. Cannot possibly get worked up about this every single week because it's just not worth it when the same thing happens every time, no matter what." See, I don't even care. Like as far as the the context of this conversation, I don't even care about the um like attendance part of it. I just care about the support part of it now. You know, and, and this is just I guess this is, that, that's the most frustrating part to me. It, it's it's the support and the and the belief that that I just think I don't need to plead for it anymore. I think it's more everyone's got to understand, you know, the dynamics of what we're up against from a talent perspective, from an in conference perspective, from a scheduling perspective, and then maybe you can reset expectations, whether you attend or not. I, I like you said, I just don't care anymore. It's 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 are you going to support the team and are you going to be positive about what the team is building toward? Um, given those circumstances, and I just don't know how many fans. I think a lot of our readers have that capacity, but I think maybe outside of that, um, that that group, and maybe some others here and there. I think there's a lot of uh, fans that just aren't are never. You're never going to convince them that 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 anything but but a ten win season with wins over Nebraska, LSU, and, and somebody else are, are, are acceptable. And that 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 to me is, is lunacy. Um, but I, I guess there's just no convincing those folks. Yeah, and I, I, I honestly think, like, those type of people are just, like, they're out. Like, you, you can't, maybe they'll come to one game every three years when everything looks as, as bright and rosy as it ever has, but, like, that you just can't worry about those people, I feel like. And uh, I get that, like, the athletic department has to do what it has to do and has to try to sell tickets by, by any means necessary, but um, it's just, like just disassociating myself from it. And I know it's not great for recruiting and it's not great for uh, like team morale and everything, but the, the constant like hand wringing over it just got really old. So um, I don't blame other people for getting annoyed by it because there are tangible benefits to having good attendance and having a good looking stadium uh, and building crowd. But just for my own personal edification, I just like had to, had to stop. So that's where I am. I don't really blame anyone who is like, 
we need, you know, more attendance, rah, rah, recruits are going to look at this and not like it, that's fine, and that's totally true. Um, it's just, like, at some point, it just couldn't deal with the exact same, uh, like, I literally felt like you could pull the same tweets from 10 minutes before any Syracuse home kick for, like, three years now, and you get the exact same messages with, like, the same diction and syntax and same photo, and it would just not look any different. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I might start doing that. I might start finding <laughs> old pictures I've taken from old Syracuse games Just from like it. 2011 and tweet them out like, can't believe the, the dome looks like this. Ten minutes before the game, guys. And just wait to see how long until someone notices. Tweet it on like a Tuesday. <laughs> I might start doing that. Just, <laughs> just to annoy people. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I'd be a fan of that. Um, I guess before we get to halftime, um, we talked a little bit about the offense against USF. But the defense... Um, you know, it was really what everyone kind of focusing in on as a problem. Uh, I know it's something I focused in on as a problem. Um, you have, but what? Before we get into into the why, you know, what was the most troubling part of of SU's defensive effort against South Florida to you? Um, it's. I just don't think they have the athletes, which is a bit troubling. I think it's. I think it's too easy to just say. Syracuse is an ACC team and South Florida is an AAC team and therefore Syracuse should have more talent than South Florida. Um, I think there are years where in the past where that's been correct. Um, that is not right now. South Florida has recruited extremely well. Um, they've recruited they're as well Florida. as like... They're in Florida. And that is huge. Like Every week, like every year there are like blue chip players who are from Florida or who are from Texas um, and they could try going somewhere else, and they just get homesick, and they go back to uh, a South Florida or an FAU or an FIU or a FCS team. Um, there's just guys who do not want to leave their home state or just a cup below what Miami and Florida State recruit and who are could easily go play for a Syracuse or an Illinois but are just not willing to make that trip. So they're at South Florida, and uh, Willie Taggart has done a really nice job of corralling a group of those guys. Um so, no, I don't think South Florida is, like, head over heels more talented than Syracuse, but I think at this moment in time, they're a more talented club. They found a quarterback. They found a really good running back. Um, and RDBs are just kind of a mess. So their receivers aren't, like, the, the headliner on that team, but they are plenty good to beat up a defensive backfield that has been a mess for a long time now um, and has injury issues. So I, I think it all just came together. Uh, to where South Florida's strengths very much matched up well with our weaknesses. And uh, that was kind of the, the story of the last three quarters of that game. Um, and once the offense couldn't quite uh, keep on putting points on the board, um, I think, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure where I fall on like, the, the whole, like, does momentum exist in sports debate. Um, but it certainly looked like it did uh, once South Florida started scoring because they really didn't stop. And it, it looked pretty bleak as soon as, like, they... That second touchdown went up. I'm like, this could get really ugly really quick. It's it. Yeah, I mean, you, we don't have to go into it now. But I know you brought up the does momentum exist in sports. I think again, without going down this rabbit hole, I think it does. But a, it's impossible to quantify. B, um, I think it's more so in college sports because you're dealing with younger athletes, um, and I, I think that that maturity definitely has an effect. Uh, but I think I think in college sports, whether it's football or basketball in particular, you can feel the room change. Um, 
I mean, I've watched countless games that it's used played. I've watched countless, especially, you know, it depends on the venue too. Um, watch countless games at indoor, uh, Cameron Indoor, uh, and other, and other places where you can, you can feel the atmosphere and you, you, you can feel when, when Duke is about to have one of their like idiotic, you know, comebacks they don't deserve. You can feel the life being sucked out of the other team, like in, in real time. And I, I just, I don't necessarily think you see it as much in the pros. You do, but see it occasionally. But you don't see it as much because venue is less of a factor. But um, yeah, I, I with, again, without diving down this hole, I, I do think momentum's there. But until someone can quantify something about it, it, it it's hard to really use it as a, as a major defense point. Yeah, I know most of the analyt- the analytically minded people will tell you that it is definitively not a thing. Um, I don't know how you even begin to measure it, uh, but there have been a lot of, especially Syracuse games, um, where I have felt at, in the moment, yes, momentum is a thing. Um, and every, this is everyone who has been to the Terrier Dome, which uh, apparently isn't many of you, as we talked about with our last little discussion here, um, everyone who's been to the Terrier Dome like a few times has probably had a Syracuse game where things look pretty good, and then all of a sudden you felt the like all of the air being sucked out of those big uh, doors, and like the, the, the roof felt, felt like it was deflating, and the team just never woke back up. Um, I, I assume, I was not in the Dome, I assume that's how the South Florida game felt. Um, I think my first game at the Dome was the Penn State game in 2008, and that's what that felt like. As soon as Syracuse fumbled the ball two plays after recovering a fumble, and everyone thought that uh, some miracle was going to happen, um, yeah, it's it's a fairly common occurrence. I don't know. Maybe momentum doesn't exist in sports, but it does exist with Syracuse football. Maybe they are the only the only sports team that has momentum impact them, um, and none others. No, no others. <laughs> yeah, honestly, when uh, when South Florida scored its fourteenth point, I uh, I knew where it was headed. Yep. And <laughs> like maybe the it just looked so effortless. Yeah, it was too effortless. It was too fast. Maybe it's just from being like a very jaded SU sports fan over the years, and and I, I mean I've spent so much time explaining my story and how I got here, but um, yeah, I, I think if you were in the dome for the Iowa game, you have a very you have one view on on sports and life, and if you weren't there, you have another one. I was not there. Maybe that's why I have, I have such a sunny disposition when it comes to Syracuse football. <laughs> Quite possibly death. <laughs> I missed it by a year. All right, uh, let's do a little halftime, and then we can kind of focus in on UConn a little bit. So Sounds what have you been drinking? Uh, so I had a bunch of the staples this weekend, grapefruit stulpin, uh, some more Southern Tier because it's still in the fridge. Uh, the two new ones, well, actually one new one and one I don't have it all the time, but it's really good. Um, the latter there is uh, Single Cut, which you all hear me talk about all the time, Astoria Brewery, really good. Uh, their Kim Hibiscus Sour Lager uh, is fantastic. Uh, but most of their sours are really good. This one is especially good. It's really sour. Um, I like that. Not everyone does. But super refreshing. Just a really, really, really drinkable beer. Uh, and then uh, I was in Stanford, uh, in Connecticut, my hometown, for a bit this weekend, uh, this past weekend. And I had New England Brewing, which is one of Connecticut's better breweries. Uh, there, Sit Sits Eight, The Neighbor of the Beast. Um which is uh, honestly like one of the more interesting beers. It was not what I expected at all. Um, super creamy um, and a lot of like almost not, not quite like a Hefeweizen type flavor, um, but kind of like that clovey, uh, sweet, um, just a really interesting blend of flavors. Uh, quite good. 
Um, and very different for them because like they're known for their 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 super like their double IPA, the uh, the Dandy Bot, which is like one of the better East Coast IPAs. I I haven't seen as much recently. Um, this is a real due to a, due to a oh right, it was renamed. What is it now? It's uh, G Bot. G Bot, yeah. But I still haven't seen that recently. Um, but I do, do need to get my hand on one of those soon too. Uh, but New England does a lot of good stuff and and shows their versatility with this one um, a decent amount, which was nice. Uh, so those were the the highlights, and then you know a lot of the stuff I always drink, which I don't need to delve into every weekend. Still have not had a pumpkin beer yet. I came very close to ordering a pumpkin, um, or a Rosemary's Baby from Two Roads, which is not my favorite pumpkin, but uh, is still pretty good. Um, and did not. So I think soon. I think we will we will break into the pumpkin, and then I'll drink them for like four months. But I'm still like holding off and and waiting for the appropriate pumpkin time. I can't blame you there. It was like eighty something degrees around here today. So yeah, it's still like, it's still like touching the eighties here. So yeah, not a it's not pumpkin time yet. I know I don't have pumpkin unfortunately out here, um, but we do have other pumpkin beers. I'll probably at some point give a few of those a try. It's it's, it's not our forte. I'll say that. Yeah, it definitely seems more more east coast than west coast. Mm-hmm. All right, on my end, I uh, had a few things. I was down in San Diego briefly uh, on Friday night last week, so I got to try a couple different things. Uh, nothing crazy, though. Uh, well, one thing crazy. Um, a buddy of mine had a bottle of Black Tuesday from the brewery from 2013, uh, so got to enjoy that with a few years on it. Uh, still aged very, very well. Uh, that edition was probably hanging around, I think it was 18.7%. Um, we split that uh, a couple different ways. Uh, so again, playing Black Tuesday is always great. Uh, this one was just good to, to be able to, to try that out, again, with a few years on it. Um, one of my favorite um, kind of pale ales lately, uh, Pizza Port, uh, was down in San Diego. They're a Graveyards Pale Ale, uh, very, very good. Really drinks like more of an IPA, but like a lighter IPA. Um, really enjoyable one. They don't can that one yet. I hope they do soon. It uh, would be awesome, and I'd probably have that in my fridge on a regular basis. Uh, Pizza Port always does a great job, but yeah, this one in particular... Um, Pretty excellent all around. Had that down at a Pizza Port in Solano Beach, uh, a little bit north of downtown. Uh, some other things. Eh, actually, nothing really that crazy from there. Um, so yeah, had a San Diego Pale Ale, the 394, uh, named for Tony Gwynn uh, by L. Smith. I had the uh, the Quest from King Harbor. Drank a uh, purple drink. With boysenberries from uh, Toolbox Brewing, uh, again down in San Diego, and then I had a mango even keel because I can grab a six pack um, of that just to have around the house. So yeah, not not a super busy weekend of drinking, but plenty of beer nonetheless. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one of the. I had the even keel. I think. Pretty soon after they hit out here, but I haven't had it since, so I remember it being very good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, it's one of those beers, it's just, it's too light, but like not, not in a way that like I wouldn't drink it. Too light as in like I don't really taste, it doesn't really feel like beer and I'm not really getting the effects of it. So then I can just kind of, you know, house a few and not even like think twice about it, which is Fair dangerous. Enough. But yeah, I guess moving on from drinking to a team that makes its fans want to drink, uh, UConn football. I don't know. Are there, is this team, I think they, they, they should be pretty happy, right? Like, 
They've won two games that they might, maybe shouldn't have. You know, and they lost. I was going to say, it's interesting because I talked to UConn fans, and they seem pretty convinced that they had the main game controlled. Eh, I watched none of that main game. I wouldn't call it controlled. Yeah, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Game control was was not your thing in that one at all. Um, You. I think they're just trying to convince the selection committee. That could be it. (laughs) (laughs) Because game control is an important thing. Yeah. For the playoffs. Your coach. Clearly, UConn has done to be in. Yeah, well, I mean, what kind of year would 2016 be if, if UConn wasn't a playoff contender? But yeah, they, uh, the coaches basically intentionally lost to, to uh, Navy. They just didn't feel like playing well in that last play. No. Just, I mean, why, why bother? Just screw it. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the, like, UConn fans would be way madder about that. <laughs> but the, yeah, that, that, that's why I don't, that's why I don't buy into most of them, because you how are you not livid about that? I'd be mad about that for like five years if that happened to Syracuse. Yeah. At least. I'm still mad oh. about the goddamn Iowa game, and that was a decade ago. That was a decade ago, like today or like a week ago. Like, and, and I'm still just as pissed about it now as I was then. I'm actually going to look it up, because if this is the, the – uh, it wasn't a decade ago. It was, was it 07 or 06? I was 06. Oh, maybe. If this is the 10-year anniversary of the Syracuse-Iowa game... It's not the exact day, but I know it's probably pretty close. I feel like that was earlier in the season. Yeah, September 9th. We actually missed it. Oh, man. We probably had a podcast. We missed the podcast that day, but that would have been... I, we, we should have commemorated it by watch, re-watching. I, I never watched that full day. I mean, I wasn't a Syracuse fan yet. I wasn't even close. City um, you didn't watch that game. I mean, I've watched some pretty bad games. <laughs> that would have just been another one. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we recorded that day because that would have been a like Friday, I think. So we definitely didn't. Yeah. Um, now that uh, that game, is, I, I tell the story all the time. That game and the uh, the Wichita State game in '06 really kind of started off my on-campus experience as a fan very poorly. The Wichita yep, State I, game. Do you remember I, I the Wichita State game? The uh, the Syracuse basketball game? The Wichita yes. State? The one where no. we came back from 24 down and then lost because Demetrius Nichols missed it. I, I know of it. Um, I'm going to say that my first two Syracuse football games being Penn State by 59 points or something and then Akron could be as bad a first two Syracuse football games as humanly possible. It's a, it's a miracle that anyone from the class of 2012 went to, like, a third Syracuse football game at the Dome. I buy that. So, yeah. Uh, Moving on from memory lane, um, UConn football thinks it's a rivalry. Their Twitter feed even says so. Uh, their fans believe it's a rivalry. Um, they even say so. Dan, is this a rivalry? No. Not at all. The stools are kind of are kind of rivals, but like yeah, basketball, U.S. News and World Report. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh god. Can we? Can we not? Um, it's fine, UConn. You gave me a lot of money, and I turned you down to go to Syracuse. You potentially gave me a lot of money because I lived there, but I turned you down because uh, I hate my parents. Um, yeah. <laughs> love you, mom and dad. I don't hate you at all. Uh, that was a lie, but I did. I did. I did force a Syracuse education upon you. Um, you know, this is actually the... All right, so uh, for a, a better anniversary, this is the 
three-year anniversary of us uh, beating Tulane by a million and declaring Terrell Hunt a future Heisman winner. Yeah. So that's the last September 21st football at Syracuse football game. Um, no, this is not a football rivalry at all. UConn was like, they happened to catch Syracuse as they came up into the Big East in like the worst stretch of Syracuse's history. Last time when Syracuse was finally competent and the last time they played, Syracuse won by a lot of points at the Carrier Dome in one of the more uh, enjoyable Syracuse football games I can remember against a crappy opponent. Um, both, I mean, it's it's kind of like all, I mean, this is kind of the history of like all these, Syrac- these Syracuse, uh, quote, rivalries, unquote, with like other Northeastern teams. Like just things didn't line up. Syracuse and Rutgers, no, those teams were never good at the same time. There was like two times where they played where they both ended up making bowls, um, I think. Maybe three. Um, UConn and Syracuse, kind of similar. Obviously, UConn was coming from the FCS ranks. Uh, Syracuse happened to hit this like awful downturn with Dred Robinson and at the end of P. Um, but no, I mean, there's never been like I don't think there's ever been a classic UConn Syracuse football game. No, no, not at all. Um, there was a, a close game at the at the rent. I think the last time we played at the rent, I was at, and we threw like three awful interceptions in the second half to lose, and then I went to a house party at UConn that night so I was visiting friends and some girl told me she wished I uh, fell down the stairs and died because I was wearing a Syracuse hat cool. so that was fun yeah they're yeah. great just yeah. nice people just good salt good of the wholesome. earth just good wholesome wholesome kinetic cutters love them yeah they uh they're they're, they're great um it's funny too because I was I feel like a lot of this kind of, like you didn't even see the Q&A that uh that I was exchanging with the UConn blog and all these questions kind of trace right over to them where like they were asking about the rivalry and they were asking about like you know like why do SU fans feel that we're still superior despite the record and I said to be honest it was exactly what you just said it was you you caught us at the absolute worst time and, and it happened to line up with the time we were in the Big East and the second and as we were leaving we smoked your asses and then we left so like yeah if that game hadn't happened it would like there'd be a little more of an argument but like the the the, the last rem- like the last time we played UConn football just went so poorly for them. Um, obviously, they're way better now. I think this will be a competitive game for sure. I feel good about Syracuse winning. It's not. I don't think it'll be a blowout, and I don't think it's like a, a you don't you don't pencil it in by any means. Um, but no, it's it's just a weird thing to argue because like Syracuse UConn is very clearly a basketball rivalry. I will totally concede that UConn in the last 20 years has jumped Syracuse in terms of their place in college basketball based on the Final Fours and championships. That's totally fine. I have no problem doing that. Uh, football is just like UConn doesn't have any history to, to, to fall back on. Not that Syracuse is Oklahoma, but Syracuse has you know a fair bit of football history. Um, UConn's been FBS for like a minute, and UConn has a winning record in the, in the, the series, but it, was, you know, it worked out as well as possible for them. And then once Syracuse finally got its bearings we kind of saw what happened. Obviously, one game isn't, like, an appropriate sample and doesn't define everything um, any more than, you know, UConn beat Greg Robinson a bunch defines anything. Um, Greg Robinson also beat UConn, I believe, which is, you know, losing Greg Robinson once should just invalidate anything you've ever done. <laughs> um, sorry, Notre Dame. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, nothing Nothing about a UConn game in football jazzes me at all. UConn in basketball, I'm, I'm, like, super in. I'm incredibly pumped that that's happening. Uh, football, I, I feel nothing. Yeah, I think that's the way it should be. Um, I also joked with the UConn blog, and you'll see this up on their site tomorrow, and for those listening today, um, where I point out the fact that I could never forget them or get tired of them because they're always in my goddamn mentions. 
talking <laughs> shit about something, <laughs> it's fine. And I that's one of the many reasons why I hope we smoke them on Saturday, because I would love nothing more than to hold at least some sort of chip for a short amount of time, um, because I'm sure that, you know, that... that the, the goalpost will change once again, and then I'll just be inundated with, uh, you know, links to Syracuse.nyc, like it's something clever and new at this point. Yeah, I definitely do want to win this game really badly for a lot of reasons. It's mostly um, because of the internet. Yeah, I'd say it's mostly the internet. Um, I, I will also say, and I think you'll probably agree with me, no escalators, and I, I mean this completely unironically, is Love one of it. my probably ten favorite people on Twitter. Easily, um, maybe five. It, it could be five. Like, he is he is great. He is everything that uh, is good about... He's literally the only thing that's good about UConn fandom. Um, when and I, the I fan hope, for them, th- th- there is no one more entertaining to watch. No. And the, if, Towson if you're, game, the Towson game a couple years ago <laughs> was among my favorite, like, Twitter meltdowns I've ever seen. I hope, he, I hope they never change. And uh, I really hope that... I, I like... I am, if I'm rooting for a Syracuse blowout for any reason, it's literally just to see that Twitter feed. Because, man, it's going to be good. Um, it's going like, to be salty, too. <laughs> like, if oh, it was it, it's so salty. And like, and we'll be salty if we lose, for sure. But we're not nearly as funny as him. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I will, always, I will always love No Escalators. And uh, literally, the only, the, he, the, he is the redeemer, or they. Because it is two guys still, right? Like, there's two of them that run it. Ah, oh, there's just one. I know, no, esca- no, Escalators is, is just one. Is it just one? Yeah. I thought there were two of them. No, I, was, I, I thought it was like a, I thought it was kind of like a, a Cespedes barbecue situation. I know, I um, actually thought it was just one. Either, or, he or they. In some case. Uh, it, one of the two. He or they um, really, like, are the only reason why UConn Twitter is at all tolerable. Because, like, every other notable UConn fan that I have to deal with is most of the time the worst. <laughs> and this includes, like, really good friends of mine. All right, on that note, um, the actual game, because I know Dan and I would love nothing more than to recap our favorite UConn Twitter moments until the end of time. Um, UConn, like we said, has not really done anything super special this year. That's a... Uh, it's just a fact. It's not even like bias talking. It's just you guys are okay, I guess. Um, They're excited about beating Virginia because Virginia is in the ACC, uh, which yes. is a fact. Yeah, don't be excited about beating Virginia. That's that's never that's never a thing you should be. As, as, as Spencer Hall said last week, uh, no, two weeks ago, because it worked against Virginia is never a reason to do anything. Right. <laughs> so yeah, if you're expecting to win a 13 to 10 slugfest with us, you're going to lose pretty badly um but yeah looking down the the, the stat sheet for, for UConn um obviously the defense is very good um Bryant Sheriffs is not great he's he, he's okay he's he, no, I mean, he, he's, he's he's a serviceable FBS quarterback he 6.4 yards an attempt he's nothing to write home about he can run a little bit he's like competent-ish yeah, but like he's he's basically an LSU quarterback. Sometimes, kinda. Maybe yeah. So maybe that's 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 not nice enough. Um, I don't know. Give me a team. Uh, he's a he's a post Sanchez USC quarterback. Oof. 
Shout out to Cody Kessler, starting NFL quarterback. <laughs> R.I.P. Max Brown, USC starting quarterback. Sam Darnold coming for it. Um, I will say I am I am excited uh, for Noel Thomas Jr., who um, I worked at for a year and a half after graduating. I worked at St. Luke's School in Connecticut, where Noel Thomas was an absolute monster. Uh, very nice guy. Uh, his dad is a coach there, also a very nice guy. So I am excited to see him doing well. And he is like he is like their entire receiving core. He is by far their best player on offense. So good for him. Yeah, I uh, I saw the numbers for him, and I really do like what he's giving them, especially given the fact that Sheriffs isn't like a great uh, passer by any means. I'm trying he's, to figure out. Did he draws pass? half their targets, which is That's... crazy. Yeah, and the fact that he's still we he hauled in what twenty six passes, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, twenty six for two seventy seven and, and a score. Like that's those are those are decent numbers for that offense, considering that offense doesn't do yards or points. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like the only guy, so that's pretty good. Yeah, looking at sheriff's numbers, sheriff. I thought I thought this was the case. Sheriff's did play against us back in two thousand thirteen when he yes, was he did state. Um, and in typical Syracuse fashion, despite him not really playing a ton, he managed six attempts for 24 yards rushing because that's what we do against uh, dual threat quarterbacks is we just let them run wild, even in limited action. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, again, because of the change in scheme and everything else, that doesn't really give him any sort of leg up. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Sheriff's... What are his rushing numbers this year? Sorry, I'm like... 207 back. yards. He's actually their leading rusher. Oh. Well, see, that seems problematic for us. Because we don't... We have never been good against uh, running quarterbacks. I read the... I, I ran the numbers last year, and we weren't as bad as I thought we were, but we definitely weren't good. Like I think like, it's like a couple a couple bad performances kind of cloud our, our memory of it, but uh, definitely not... I would, definitely don't think, like, the numbers are, are great. Yeah. Going... I'm trying to think, like, how... We can kind of keep talking while I'm like looking for this because I know I ran the numbers like from like 2010 until something. This is this is fantastic radio. So, one thing I'm looking as I'm scrolling through numbers here, I will say one thing that actually excites me to see if our defense responds is that UConn plays at a very slow pace. Uh, they are 95th in the country in uh, pace. They just you know they they run the exact offense that you expect them to. Yeah, that doesn't um, scare me at all. That, that, that's why I, I care I, about this game. I really hope that our defense shows well because of that. Because I think the offensive pace, as, you, as you've as you written about, um, expedites kind of the defensive issues, which is to be expected. It's kind of like a – it's not really a design flaw. It's just like a fact of life with running a Babers slash Bryles slash whomever offense. Um, but the, uh, the defense like definitely hasn't just do it well at all, Like, and they're not being as opportunistic as you like. Um because like that's kind of the design is like you know hang back a little bit and try to to draw some uh, draw turnovers and get the ball back to your offense and that hasn't really happened which you know still year one and personnel issues we've talked about at length every week I feel like um, so hopefully that you the fact that UConn is running a uh, more milk toast slower offense is going to um, pay dividends here um, considering that the last two weeks have been USF's offense which is a very unique uh, attack and also good. And Lamar Jackson, who is a meteor heading towards Earth at all times, um, yeah, UConn I mean, does not at, have Lamar Jackson. And you look to at what make, Colgate did. Sure. Yeah, I mean UConn's better than Colgate, clearly, but Colgate couldn't play at pace, 
and and quickly got steamrolled. I mean, even if you make half, even if you stop us from getting into, like, even if you stop us from scoring on three quarters of the drives, if SU's going to play at the pace it wants to and it's going to dictate your pace a little bit, I mean, that could be, you can still score on four drives as long as you bring in a couple touchdowns in there. I mean, you're looking at 20 points kind of as a bare minimum. Like, I've said this before, like, that's the scary part for, for SU opponents is is just, if you can't, I mean, you know, USF had, had, the, had the horses to to run against what we were doing, but if you can't play at pace, like, you're just going to get run off the field, even even if Syracuse isn't really at, like, full strength yet with this system. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a really good point. And also, uh, I and I don't even mean this as, like, a gratuitous knock on UConn. I think there's a very good chance their offense is closer to Colgate than it is to USF. In terms of style and in yeah. terms of abil- and in terms of ability, um, I think USF's like quite good, and obviously Louisville's like off the charts compared to those schools. So um, I think that's where the root of my confidence in this team is, and it's not like overwhelming confidence. Obviously, Syracuse can go on the road and lose. Um, I think the fact that it's it's not a, a crazy environment; the rent's pretty tame. It's very like I don't know. You, you're not if you're on the field with the rent, you're not feeling like you're at this big time. Uh, opposing college football atmosphere. It's like a couple, you know, there'll be 35,000 people there maybe. Um, it's not exceptionally loud uh, or anything. Um, that and and the fact that this isn't a, an offensive style that is going to keep pace with Syracuse um, helps the defense and the fact that uh, Syracuse's style is not something that you've kind of seen yet this year. Um, Virginia and Maine definitely don't run it. Navy is an entirely different animal. Um it's actually, they have Houston next week, uh, which also, I, I feel like that might help too, um, because it's a look-ahead spot, and it's five days. I think they play on a, uh, it seems like they play on, what, a Thursday? They play at Houston? Uh, um, sounds right. Yeah, so they have uh, kind of a look-ahead game. I, I just think a lot of the external factors, which may or may not mean anything, seem to point towards Syracuse here. Um, obviously, this is that should all blow up in my face, but I, I think... If you take all those things, I think uh, I feel pretty good about them. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, and it's funny, too, because, and, and again, this isn't like hammer UConn fans on this thing. Um, but, you know, when I talked to the UConn blog, one of their first things was, oh, yeah, we, play, we played a tempo-based offense. We played a, a spread before. Like, playing USF is different than playing us. Playing Houston is different than playing us. Like, they run different styles of spread. And I think, you know, maybe that's just a, a, a baseline knowledge of spread versus the, the nuances within it, whatever it is. Um, even though knowing what, what those two teams in particular put down, the pace that SU is playing at, even if they're not getting the same results that USF and Houston are, is still going it, to, it, it's going to wreck you as, as a defense. I don't care how good you are. I mean, look at how good Louisville's defense is, and they needed to fake injuries in order to slow us down. Like... I mean, they won. They would have won that game under any circumstances. But that said, like, you can't deny the fact that SU has been able to really test better defenses um, already. And and then I think UConn probably falls in between Louisville and USF on that scale. Um, But again, what they lack is the ability to really play at pace, not just at pace, but, but against this pace in particular. Um, I really think that's going to be the key. Um, that's probably going to be a, a, one of the bigger arguments I have in favor of SU um, in my uh, you know five things to watch preview that I usually try to put up on Thursdays. 
Yeah, and that's not to say that like Syracuse's offense is anywhere as good as South Florida's yeah. or uh, or Houston's. They just, in terms of pace, like those teams play pretty fast. Syracuse plays a lot faster, even if it's not as effective, like you said. So, um, just that speed is uh, it's it's definitely an issue for teams that aren't used to it. Um, as as like any any stylistic uh, like major change from what you're used to playing is, um, whether it's like a, a crazy option like Georgia Tech or um, some like huge bruising uh, offense that uh, teams don't really run that much anymore. Um, yeah, it's just. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all to see UConn taking a little uh, aback by it because, like, I'm, they don't have their schedule from last year in front of me. Um, but I doubt they played. Did they play Tulsa? Uh, I don't know if they played Tulsa. I know they played USF and Houston. Yeah, and like those are those are good. Uh, they're they're fast opponents, but they're not the same thing. Like they they are much more like standard uh, pace spread offenses versus the breakneck. Um, at times, like, super hectic speed that Syracuse plays at right now. I'm actually bringing up their schedule now. Tulsa is obviously of the same... Uh, General cloth. The same tree, yeah. and they did not play Tulsa last year. Um, Cincinnati might be the fastest offense they played last year. Maybe Marshall. Um, I don't have, like, the pace stats for all those teams in front of me. But, um, yeah, they definitely did not play. I mean, there are only there are only so many Bryles tree offenses. Like, how many are there now? Four? Syri- yeah. Obviously, Baylor, uh, Tulsa... Uh, Texas now, strangely, and um, and uh, Syracuse. So, yeah, uh, luckily Syracuse is kind of ahead of the curve in terms of playing this specific style, uh, this specific brand of spread. Um, and hopefully uh, it gets running before it... I, I expect in the next, like, five years, you're going to see a lot of offenses uh, adopt it. So I, I hope Syracuse really has a... Uh, kind of humming before it becomes really in vogue because we're definitely you know we're in the first four really uh to, to pick it up yeah uh, among the first four and i think on top of that that and I, again this is something we've talked about before and i've written about uh the fact that we did it um you know as, as one of the first in the northeast to really kind of put this through i know obviously you know rutgers is trying to run some semblance of a spread but it's more of you know urban myers similar to smash mouth spread um and then I know that uh, Penn State actually installing a little bit of a tempo-based spread uh, this year. But, yes, yeah, still, I, I think when you run 105 plays in a game, and, and since this one's not going to be a blowout, they're not gonna, there won't, won't be a ton of throwaway plays on either end. Um, and it, it's all about gaining a lead. If, if, if Syracuse can gain an, um, a 10-point, 17-point lead against this UConn team, again, I, I just don't know how they come up for air. Um, there's no guarantees of that. Again, the defense is very good. Who knows about turnovers, et cetera. But yeah, if SU can come out quickly and score and enforce UConn and try to play with any sort of pace, uh, that's when you take teams out of the comfort zone. That's when mistakes happen. And, and I do like our, our odds there. Yeah, I, I think Baber said that today. He said, you know, jumping on the quick would be very important. Obviously, jumping on them quick has been uh, a strategy that hasn't super, like, didn't work last week. But, um, I think USF had the athletes and the uh, ability to come back from a 17-point deficit that early. UConn, like you said, um, it's going to be much more of a process for them to do it. Now, if they, you know, if Dungey forces some bad throws like he has uh, a few times this year and UConn gets some picks um, or, or, you know, recover some fumbles, that's really the easiest way to do it. But um, just having their offense, uh, just having their offense do it on, on its own 
is not going to be the easiest thing, um, at least based on what we know of them so far. Too true. Um, not that it's going to close us out just yet, but um, found that article, um, and it was Schaefer defenses from 2009 to 2014, um, released through September of 2014. We were 10-10 and in that stretch against mobile quarterbacks. Um, B.J. Daniels pretty much buried us alive twice. Um, Which... B.J. Daniels wasn't very good, so... He but he did he kill us. He killed twice. us. Yeah. Twice. Uh, John Robertson is included in this uh, sample. Um, he obviously killed Ugh. us. Uh, Kane Coulter. Um, Vad Lee. Um, who else is on here? Uh, Munchie Legault. And Chaz. Munchie! <laughs> oh, that game. That Cincinnati game is a low-key, awful Syracuse loss. Yep. I do recall. Brandon that. Reddish just had to just had to pick it off, man. You had it. <laughs> you had it. So yeah. much field in front of you. Cool. So yeah, I would assume looking at this list, um, there's probably at least another four or five games that I would have added from the rest of 2014 through last year against Schaefer defenses. Obviously, we're not in a Schaefer defense anymore, but um, Reddy kind of got hurt by two. We've actually faced three mobile quarterbacks already. And Sheriff's kind of makes four, which is odd and not really an ideal situation for SU. Um, and then you have Kaiser coming up week five. Kendall um, Hinton, much... potentially, if yep. he's playing for Wake. And, and to be honest, um, Wolford can run I think as well. he, there's a chance he's out, though. He's out two to four from this week, so it really just depends on whether he's on the north end or the south end of that. Um, so that's something to watch out for, SU fans. Um, Clemson obviously has one. Florida State. Francois doesn't run that much, but he's he's but he fairly can, mobile. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have mostly mostly mobile quarterbacks left on the schedule. Shit. <laughs> um, Patrick Tolles, like I don't think he really runs. No. and they're they're bad. Yeah, like he's they're also just bad. Boston College. <laughs> You're fine. Kentucky might wish they had him though, because uh, it sounds like Drew Barker, who was awful in Florida, so maybe not. Um, but he uh, he might be out for the he's out for a couple weeks, so. When you can add a Kentucky quarterback, you know, you always want to do it. I have to do it. Uh, all right. So on that, Dan, predictions for this UConn game. I know we spoke a lot really about, you know, kind of the offense, but I think that that's going to tell the, the tell the tape, not just this game, but most of the games is really just going to be, you're going to give up points because the SU defense is not going to do well. They don't have depth. So it's really going to be about what the offense can do against the opposing defense. I think we're situated. Um and I think that we can be successful against UConn because of the, the athletic advantage. But in your eyes, who wins and by how much? Uh, I'm going to take Syracuse in this game. Yeah. I am going to take, um, I mean, as, as anyone who's listened through the first uh, hour and two minutes of this um, probably realizes I'm, I'm pretty high on SU in this game. Maybe not deservedly so, but I'm going with it. I'm going to say uh, 30, 31-21. I think uh, Syracuse will... Uh, have more uh, success than they have in the last two games. I think they'll be playing uh, from ahead. I think UConn will probably store... I'll, I'll say UConn has like one big touchdown that we get really frustrated about that goes for like 50 yards that the, the defense uh, should have stored up. At, but um, I don't expect UConn's offense to impress me any more than they have so far this year. Um, and I think uh, Syracuse's offense will find a way to put a few more points on the board than it has the last two weeks. So 31-21... The good guys win one at the rent. Fair enough. I've got uh, I got thirty to twenty six, a little bit closer. Um, I think I think 
that everyone but Maine that uh, UConn's faced so far is a better defense than we do. Um, I think that you know Virginia held them to 13, but Navy uh, allowed 24. I'm going to go with 26 just because I really don't love what this secondary can and can't do. Um, I think that we... I'd love to see us score more than 30. I just don't know if it happens this week against a better defense. Um, still, I think you see some development. I think you see a little more accuracy, consistency from Dungey. Um, hopefully, you can take a few less hits. That's really going to dictate you know, how well the SU offense rides. I mean, if you watch him... Um, I haven't charted it specifically, but if you watch what happens to Dungey after he gets knocked around a couple times um, in games, and just like kind of the, the he's not he doesn't fear anything, which is good and bad. But you, you see, there's a sharpness that's gone as he's looking for quicker releases and to make quicker decisions sometimes errantly. Um, still, I, I see Syracuse uh, grabbing the win here, um, pretty much falling in line, give or take, with, with Vegas sees depending on where the line is. Um, and, and yeah, I, uh, the one thing I will mention, because I know that you mentioned the secondary, um, and this will kind of, like, I guess how we'll end it. Um, SU doesn't seem to know how to dive to tackle anyone. Has anyone else noticed this, Dan? Have you seen, have you, have you noticed the same thing I have, that it seems like we're, we're pretty close to guys and we could make stops, we just kind of don't? Um, I haven't super paid attention to it, but uh, I will now. Yeah, that you brought it up. It's definitely something I noticed. Like literally, like the first two, like the Colgate game, there was there were hardly any instances of this because there were not many opportunities and really moved the ball much. Um, but yeah, the last two games, I've just noticed a lot of like. I mean, maybe maybe Baber shows a gif of that Florida State disaster and, and says, "Don't be these guys." And, and so as a result, everyone's like terrified of diving. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, something something I've noticed that there's been a couple plays we probably could have made before someone went on like a ridiculous romp into the end zone or whatever it is, um, and we definitely haven't we haven't closed the, the you know the, the perimeter as well as we probably should have or you know didn't really think it was worth you know diving to make a stop even if it was at the ten um, just it just didn't look like it was in the cards so. Not questioning overall effort, I'm just questioning effort on maybe those types of instances, and I'm very curious to see if others have, see the same thing going forward. Hopefully not, because hopefully we don't give up plays like that anymore. I, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, let's do that. Anyway, um, so yeah, Syracuse wins, UConn loses, according to this podcast. Uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I avoided apparently what was uh, the worst Mets loss of the season, uh, and they got swept by the Braves, so... Uh, I was much happier recording this lovely podcast with you. Yeah, I was like half paying attention to that, and then I just stopped because I knew what was going to happen. Apparently, that's... Cespedes just had a what would have been a game tying or winning home run robbed uh, from him uh, for the last out of the game. There so we just got swept by the worst team in the NL East. Good times. On the bright side, the Cardinals lost today. Yay! Didn't lose any ground to them. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this, is, this has been Shrine Noons and Absolute Mets cast. <laughs> it's somehow sadder than talking about Syracuse football. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right. Dan, any parting shots about Syracuse? No, I'm dead. We talked about Syracuse a lot. <laughs> I'm going to go wallow. I'm watching my roommate look like he wants to uh, murder literally everything. I'm going to go hide for my life. No, just turn on the Dodger Giants game and roof the Dodgers. Eh, I don't want to do baseball right now. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't support your, your second team, John. 
anyway. Not right. Eventually. <laughs> I'm more supporting them because I want the Giants to lose. Oh, that's all. Okay, go Dodgers. <laughs> all right. That was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for tuning in to Trey Noons and Absolute Podcast. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.